Welcome to the second episode of Deck Talk podcast with your host Ripon Ray. Many couples are focusing on their financial position during the cost of living crisis. The tension of high cost would manifest in emotional and financial strain in many relationships. Many would no doubt share their personal space with discomfort, which is a perfect recipe for the rise in domestic abuse. Already, lawyers are warning that spiraling energy bills and rising inflation fueling sharp increase in divorce inquiries. In this episode, we speak about domestic abuse and money trouble during the cost of living crisis. I have a panel of speakers who are to share their personal and professional experience on debt talk to navigate such a delicate subject along with tips in the end. I have Rosie Leon, a domestic abuse sufferer and a campaigner. James Jones from Experian, one of the largest consumer credit reference agencies in the UK. Sharina Ali, advice manager from Limehouse Project, which advises and supports vulnerable communities in the East End of London. Let me start with Rosie. Rosie, you have been courageous enough to speak in public about your personal experience of domestic abuse. Could you tell us what actually happened to you? Yeah, I experienced domestic abuse. Uh, I was in a relationship from the age of 17 for seven and a half years. Uh, I didn't realise it was domestic abuse until later on um, and when it became physical, um, which is obviously a myth that domestic abuse isn't just physical. Um, But the main thing that I speak about a lot is the post-separation abuse and the aftermath that I experienced. Um, I had a joint mortgage property with this individual. I got a mortgage when I was 22 years old. And after we broke up, I had to leave the property for my own safety. Um, And then it was the battle of trying to put the property up on the market. So I tried to reason with him to try and get it put on the market, but he kept making excuses. And then obviously um, when it got, a bit when it got worse the police had to get involved in the courts um I had a solicitor that wrote to him instead and we tried to get the property put on the market but he refused to sell pay or leave he you know it was very very difficult for me I even offered him to have the whole equity of the property just to get it on the market to sell it and but unfortunately he did refuse I was paying the mortgage in full for just over a year, even though I wasn't allowed to access it. And I had no other option but to let the mortgage go into repossession um, and let the bank take it, which is what I um, talk about a lot now because of the poor experiences that I had in the banking industry when that repossession was taking place. At what point did you realise that you reached a dead end and you needed a solicitor? Um, I knew that I needed help from a solicitor when, you know, when post-separation abuse took place after I'd left the relationship about three months later, I had to go to court to get a non-molestation order, which he breached and he got charged for. But 
um, obviously I wasn't allowed any contact for, with him, not that I'd want any uh, for my safety. So I had to get a solicitor involved to be the middle person anyway. And to get a bit of advice, really, I was paying it all in full and it couldn't go on like that for years and years. Um, but unfortunately, the only option we did have in the end was to stop paying because the only other option was to go to court and fight it. But it could have cost over £15,000 just to get the court to say that I could sell it without his permission. Um, money that not many people have. <laughs> Based on what you have told us, no doubt you're going through a financial strain. Was there any other strain, such as emotional stress, psychological stress? Yeah, I really did struggle emotionally. Um, I'm someone that needs constant reassurance, and I think quite a lot of people that have been in my situation will feel the same. Um, when you go through it, and especially if you don't have much of an understanding at the start of what's actually happening, you feel like you're the only person going through it and it's a really lonely place. I struggled to leave my home um, due to anxiety and depression um, just because that individual lived around the area, as well, the same area as where I live. So I struggled for from 2019 up until around the end of 2021. Um, where I just, you know, and it was very difficult going through that, going, waiting for solicitors to email back and then you get that triggering sense of, oh no, like you don't know what's going to come next and it's all the anxiety, the panic, the waiting for the court hearings and oh, it's just the emotional impact it has on people is horrific. You briefly touched on being in contact with a number of agencies. What sort of challenges were you coming across as you approached these organisations? Yeah, I think with the sort of support wise um, from say like um, different charities, like local charities, councils, um, it's very much in my area where I live, which is in Essex, um, it's a postcode lottery as such as they call it. So you go to one and they'll say that, you know, your area is not covered. So you have to go, they send you somewhere else and then you'll tell your story again and then no, that's not the right place again. You have to go there again. So it's the constant. And then at the time in 2019, it's got a lot better since. But, you know, some sort of support work that you get um, assigned to you, depending on your location, it depends who you get really to whether it's good. I experienced core service and support from one area to another area where I experienced really good support. So it depends on the areas. Um, and in the banking industry back then, in 2019, nobody really spoke about domestic abuse. It wasn't like, you know, there was nothing on banks' websites. I think maybe just like one high street bank and definitely wasn't my high street bank. And so you'd ring up and you'd have to retell your story constantly to a different person, even though you told them before and they're, you know, you know, so you keep retelling your story, it's re-traumatising and then they just come to an end of they, there's nothing that they can really do for you and it just feels like you're in a never-ending cycle. Thank you, Rosie, for sharing your experience. Now, James, a credit reference agency holds financial data of individuals in the UK. Now, when we come across a situation like Rosie, in what way can a credit reference agency help? Well, firstly, um, Rosie, it's um, upsetting to even just, you know, as a third party, listen to um, you 
tell the story of your your experience. I can't imagine the kind of stress and upset and and, and someone you experienced at the time and, and and as you described for a while afterwards as well in relation to the whole episode of domestic abuse. Um, I mean, obviously, if there's there's sort of credit related fallout from this type of experience, then that um, you know sort of spills over into the work that we do as one of the country's main credit reference agencies, because one of our jobs is, is to maintain a factual record of, of what credit people apply for and take out and how that is subsequently um, managed. Um, I, I, I'd like to say that um, we, we experiment, we put the consumer at the heart of everything we try to do as a, as a business and make it one of our missions to promote good financial health. Um, and that includes you know, obviously supporting the most vulnerable members of society, including victims of um, domestic and financial um, abuse. I, I guess to, in terms of, you know, our primary responsibilities as a custodian of all this, um, this information is that we're responsible for keeping accurate and up to date, and it should reflect the facts um, rather than the cause, if you like. Uh, and also importantly, keeping the information safe and secure, um, especially from crooks and, and other bad actors to make sure that, you know, when information is accessed, it's only done so by the right people and organizations and for the right, um, for the right purposes. Um, you know, what one of our jobs as a, as a credit reference agency is, is to help people see and understand their, their information, which keeps us very busy. We have a very a large um, customer um, service center um, up here in um, Nottingham. Um, help people improve their credit worthiness uh, if, for example, they're on a journey towards an important application like a mortgage or something like that, um, or to help people if they've been through something, you know, maybe traumatic like identity fraud or financial abuse, where we, you know, absolutely recognise that we have a, um, a role to play helping people deal with um, the fallout on their credit record. So, so certainly, you know, we have support um, available to people who have been through um, kind of similar experiences to, uh, to Rose's. Can you give some examples as to how you support someone like Rosie? Yeah, sure. So um, actually, one of the things we worked on um, not too long ago was a, was a new credit score guide with the uh, with the charity Surviving Economic Abuse, which is which is now on our website because uh, we very very much recognise that um, you know people in this sort of situation will be on the lookout for for um, you know helpful guidance on, on on what to do and who to approach and so on so we, we we're, we're pleased that we worked with um with, with the charity and um, continue to discuss other things we can do to help people in similar situations going forwards um i mean in, in just personally in this type of situation the first step really is is um you know getting hold of a copy of your information um and we have implemented processes experience to help support victims of um of domestic and financial abuse um, particularly, you know, when um, people are understandably keeping their current whereabouts private because of security concerns. So we can, for example, send a copy of someone's credit report um, to a care of address or maybe maybe to an advised professional um, if that helps give, give someone um, peace of mind um, in relation to, you know, kind of potential implications for linking up um, their old address to their, to their um, current whereabouts, for example. Um, once someone's got hold of a copy of the um, the information in question, then obviously we can we can go through that with uh, with the victim and help them understand which entries um, you know have been recorded that relate to uh, to the abuse. 
and then what action um, can be taken to help set the record straight. Um, it's, it's a complicated area um, and there are sort of two main scenarios that sort of determine probably the lens through which a lender will look at a request to amend information. Um, one is, you know, if, 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 if credit was applied for, uh, taken out or used without the victim's knowledge permission, um, then, then technically that's ID fraud. So um, that, that's the lens the lender will look at. And, and that should result once queried in the information being removed from the victim's credit report completely. Um, if, if, however, credit was taken out or used with the victim's knowledge, but uh, under you know, coercion, that's obviously slightly different, um, but still um, we, we, we will work with uh, the individual to raise data suite disputes uh, in relation to all of the um, entries on the credit report uh, that, that relates to, to, to the experience um, and, and ask the uh, lenders or other providers to, to, to review the situation and to decide whether they think, for example, it's fair to keep recording the information in its current form. I mean, and then obviously the lender has to look at this from a kind of, um, you know, treating customers fairly perspective. What did they, did the individual have uh, the, you know, the right capacity to contract at the time, that sort of thing. That is very much down to the lender to, to interpret and decide on, on the next course of action. Um, as a sort of a, a keeper of the kind of, you know, one of the central registries of, of, of credit related information, our job, prim our primary job is to, is to keep the information or transpose the information we get from banks and lenders uh, accurately and keep a factual record uh, of the credit people have. Um, the information from banks and lenders about the, you know, the credit that we all um, use on a, on a regular basis for a variety of uh, purposes um, is technically owned by the banks and lenders. They, they register it with us. They're responsible, therefore, for its, um, um, it being an accurate record um, of what happened. Um, so we do have to rely on the say-so of the, uh, the banks and lenders um, in terms of um, when information is disputed and if it can be amended or, or even deleted from someone's credit report. So ultimately, if, um, you know, if an organization comes back and says, and actually we think it should stay recorded, um, then um, we, we will implement that, that decision. But that's not necessarily the end of the road for someone because there are other steps and actions that someone could take. So for example, um, you know, if there was a, say a, a credit card record that uh, included a period of arrears um, that um, were incurred, you know, during a period of, of domestic abuse, but the card firm um, was adamant the information couldn't be changed, then we could help the individual add a, a, an explanatory statement to their credit report to put on record their side of the story and those circumstances, and that would then be provided to any lender assessing the information um, in the future. You mentioned explanation. How much weight a lender in this case, a future lender put weight on explanation by an individual? Well, lenders, that's a good question. Lenders have to look at the note because it becomes part of the credit report and is attached to the entry or entries it relates to. They should look at it and take it into consideration. It would ultimately be down to the lender carrying out the creditworthiness assessment as to you know, whether or not it affects the outcome of their, their decision. Um, so it, 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 essentially, it's down to the lender. They they will they will see it, and they should they should uh, they should read and take it into consideration. Inevitably, someone might not be happy with the outcome of the decision made by a credit reference agency. 
if that is the case, what is the complaint process? As a, as a kind of FCA authorised organisation, we have a kind of formal complaints process um, in place for customers that are unhappy with um, you know, the information on their credit reports or, or maybe the service that we've, uh, we've provided. Uh, so, so we'll go through a kind of formal complaints process and ultimately if someone's not happy with, um, with us once we've issued a final response uh, on the matter, then um, we will signpost someone to the financial ombudsman service for, for you know, a free arbitration um, and, uh, and a ruling really on the situation. Um, I would say in my experience from the kind of limited number of financial abuse cases I've personally um, helped deal with, um, I've largely seen people being quite happy with the, um, the, the support and advice we've, we've given victims help, um, you know, to help as far as we can restore their, their credit records. But it's important, you know, as you say, that there is a, a clear complaints process in place. Um, and, and as I've said, ultimately, people can escalate the, uh, their situation to the Financial Ombudsman Service if they're not happy with uh, the help that we've provided. Experian holds individuals' financial data. In this case, on what capacity does the Information Commissioner get involved? So if you sort of ask me the question, um, you know, who regulates credit reference agencies, I would I'd probably answer a combination of the, uh, the FCA and the ICO. Of course, the ICO um, uh, monitors, polices, amongst other things, um, compliance with the Data Protection Act and the uh, and GDPR. Um, so as an organisation that processes lots of personal information, we, we are obviously closely monitored our activities by by the ACO, and we work them on a number of fronts. Um, one example I can I can give you um, is we already talked about notices of correction. That, that's a, a statement someone can add to their own credit report to add extra information. Um, the the, the, the uh, uh, legislation stipulates that the a notice should, uh, obviously it should be uh, factual, um, it should be, um, it shouldn't be frivolous, uh, it shouldn't be defamatory or, or obviously incorrect for any other reason or unsuitable. If, if, if someone asks us to add a notice of correction to a credit report and we don't think it's actually suitable, we will um, probably um, usually redraft the statement and, and, and and, uh, uh, and ask the, the customer whether that's acceptable. Uh, if ultimately we can't agree on the wording, we then have a process to refer the matter to the Information Commissioner's Office um, as per the, uh, the regulations. So that's one example of, of where, where we would work with the ICO and then the ICO would basically review the situation and make a ruling based on what they think is the, um, the most appropriate wording to, to use. Let me bring in Sharina. Sharina, you've been in the advice sector for many years. You've heard what Rosie has said. What sort of issues do individuals of domestic abuse bring in front of you? Hi, Ripon. Thank you for having me on. Uh, we have quite a lot of clients that come to our door on a regular basis. They do suffer financial abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. Unfortunately, financially, a lot of our victims don't actually realize um, what's happened until they separate and letters come to them in their own name, in the new address. Um, and that's when they will come to us in blind panic, sometimes very stressed um, after a few days of worrying nonstop. And then it's up to us to deal with those um, 
uh, inquiries. Um, and sometimes they have very little information about the letters that they've received. Um, they don't even know what, what it's all about. They don't know anything about agreements, um, loan payments, anything like that. They don't, they don't know where they are in this situation. You've heard what Rosie said about she going to various agencies. Some are good, some are not. But what is the expectation of advice services when you have someone like Rosie? So one of the first things we do is try and understand what's happened so far and who's supported the victim up to that point. A lot of our clients usually separate and then come to us for advice. So we do a generalist triage. We'll do a housing check. We'll do a benefits check. We'll do an income maximization. We'll um, support the um, client into making applications for benefits if that's what they need to do. We'll do a change of circumstances. If they're um, in a joint claim, we look at over payments we'll talk about all the different ways that they can now get support we'll talk we'll do a credit check so that would be the debt advisor's role so they'll do a credit check we'll talk about how to um, the housing situation and how to get the name out of tenancies and what they need to do with council tax there's so many things that we do need to discuss with the client um, and then get the right support for them in different ways it's up to the individual how much support they want from us and sometimes we can't provide all the different support. So we're very lucky right now. We have debt advisors for about two years in Limehouse Project. We didn't have debt advisors, so we'd have to signpost our clients. Um, and that's quite difficult when you've already done quite a lot of the work, but then you have to stop at a certain point and then um, refer the client on to someone else, a complete stranger. And they sometimes don't want to go to another centre. So that's always quite difficult to do. And I recognise when Rosie said there are some advisors that are quite good, some advisors that are not very supportive. And it's also experience as well. You know, a lot of the advice agencies might not have the right experience. And domestic violence is one of those specialist areas. To support vulnerable individuals suffering from domestic abuse, what sort of challenges would you come across to support them? We have a large community that don't speak English as a uh, first language. So the language barrier is quite a big issue for us. We have cultural barriers as well. So a lot of the things we say to victims, they have to think about the community that they live in. They have to answer to family members. A lot of other stuff is more important than what we say to them. So it's not always as black and white as we wanted want things to be. Um, and especially when they do come to us, they are looking for quick answers. They want to go home and rest and be able to sleep. And they want all of it taken away. And sometimes the process is so long, so difficult. The answers are not always there. Even after we've made a few phone calls, we may be able to get, give the client a bit of breathing space, but actually the problem's not gone away. Um, and we sometimes, you know, the worst thing we always do for our clients is we sometimes make the situation a lot worse because we'll do a credit check and suddenly we now have to tell the client, actually, you don't have one loan, you have six loans or you're in this much debt or you've got, you know, your £250 debt is actually 250 something, you know, £2,000 over what you actually thought. We actually sometimes make the whole situation a lot worse for them at the beginning. But then it's, you know, giving them the answers, giving them ways that this is how we're going to deal with this. This is what we're going to do. Um, and you've just put this person, you know, you've, this person has to go home with a whole brand new set of information that they didn't know about at the beginning. 
Um, that's a very familiar topic and a very familiar inquiry that we have here. Fuel costs are going up. We're seeing cost of many other things going up. And no doubt lawyers are also saying that due to this crisis, requests for divorce is also going up. In your professional experience, what do you need to see from the government? We need, well, it's difficult for the government at the moment since they can't even um, do anything about the cost of living for the normal person. Um, when it comes to domestic violence, I want them to prioritise these are human beings who are responsible for young um, children who have a lot of other issues to deal with. What we've, what we've seen over the years is laws have been made, but they haven't been followed. And there are no consequences for people who break those laws. Um, when people come to us and they crying their eyes out about how, how much abuse they've faced, but they know that their, their stress hasn't ended. They will still go through ongoing financial abuse. Although the perpetrator might not be in front of them and might not be taking their money, they are still abused a lot longer than when, when it, says, it says it's stopped on paper or something like that. Um, we need the government to recognise that these um, clients need long-term support. There needs to be a lot more funding. There needs to be a lot more investigations. But more than anything, there needs to be punishments in place for people who do, who carry out these um, like crimes. These are crimes. They, they, these are crimes against these um, um, victims. And there needs to be consequences for that. But more than anything, we need funding. We need specialised domestic violence um, advice agencies um, for these, um, these type of um, inquiries. We are coming to the end of that talk. Um, before we go, I would like our panellists to give some tips to our listeners. Rosie, what tips would you give to those who are affected by domestic abuse? I think the tips that I would give people that are going through domestic abuse, um, for instance, would be to, you know, don't give up. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it does it does take a long while to overcome that and get through the financial elements of it but like for my instance like you know the repossession took two years uh, it's on the market now but once that's done and that's finalized that will be me free um so there is like the end of the tunnel credit scoring in itself yeah okay I can't you know I can't get another mortgage I can't rent I can't get a phone contract out in my own name you know I can't do anything but it's not a prison sentence and it will get better in time and I think for people that have clients that are going through domestic abuse to to make sure that they listen and um, that they understand that they record it properly properly and then they actually you know act and have things in place like domestic abuse policies that they can refer to to help their clients rebuild their life. We ask the same question to James. James, what tips would you give to our listeners? I guess just to just to know that um, you know help is available when when you're able to to reach out uh, and ask for it, and certainly um, you know experience we have implemented um, policies and support recognizing um, you know the problem of domestic abuse very much out there, um, so that you know if people do get in touch, um, we're set up to do our very best to help people as uh, sort of quickly and painlessly as possible. But as, as Rosie said, sometimes these things can take time. You know, if you've got kind of property to, to sell and joint accounts to, uh, to resolve and that sort of thing, it, it's not necessarily going to be an overnight process, but we'll do our best once those sorts of things have been resolved. 
um, to get to help get someone's credit report updated uh, and where information can't be completely removed um, to help people put their side of the story on the record so that that information can be um, accessed and understood by a prospective lender in, in the future. And finally with Serena. For me, it's an extremely um, scary and confusing time for money management. Um, and there's a lot of new support as well as old support available. I would suggest everyone go for an individual advice session with an advisor, um, get a little checkup. Um, we run money management sessions here. So we talk about what a I'm doing air quotes, but what a normal financial situation should look like, what money should be coming in, what money should be going out. And in these sessions, a lot of people have walked away thinking, well, you know what, that's not my household. It's not, I, well, if I'm, getting, if I'm getting this money, there is this money. So go, go access those services, have those conversations, um, see where it takes you, because a lot of the times when we, Think we know things we might need few things just to support us on the way no harm in getting that support no harm in getting that help i would like to thank our panelists rosie james and serena for taking part on this month's debt talk podcast if you have enjoyed listening to debt talk and you want to contribute to this show you can get in touch with me my email address ripon.ray at yourdoctordebt.com or in Twitter, yourdoctordebt. You can also find Debt Talk on Spotify and iTunes and on yourdebt.com website. Please do subscribe. Next month on Debt Talk, the subject matter we'll be dealing with is heating or eating during the cost of living. Thank you for listening to Debt Talk with your host, Ripon Ray.